Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bazaar, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Do you have a hunger for cinematic horror? Do you enjoy the thrill from seeing boogeymen, beasts, and butchers go about their dark work? Then all you need to do is speak of the devil, and the devil will come to you. Speak of the Devil is a podcast for all movies that have anything from demons and poltergeists to serial killers and the supernatural. I'm Kayla. And I'm Taylor. Join us as we embark on a journey through the dark recesses of horror films, from the classics to blockbusters and everything in between. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. We're not scared of anything. Are you? Alrighty, Mom, what are you going to be talking about today? I'm going to be talking about earthquakes in San Francisco and just generally earthquakes, but uh, a man who thought that he could prevent them. His name is Mm. Herbert Mullen. He had a very unique and interesting way to uh, view what he thought caused them. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds weird. It is very weird, actually. What are you going to be telling us about? I'm going to be talking about chronic wasting disease. I don't. That doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good at all. It's not. And to wait, are we both doing bizarre right now? (laughs) No. Okay. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha ha. I gotcha. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of threw me off there. Okay. I mean, and... mine is very bizarre, but it's also extremely brutal. Okay. okay Mine's was... a twofer. So, to go with my chronic wasting disease story, uh, I have the Deer Hunter Cocktail. And the Deer Hunter Cocktail has one ounce of vodka. One squeeze of a lemon. Uh, doesn't say how what size a lemon. Could be half a lemon. Could be a quarter. I don't know. Uh, three to five ounces of chilled root beer or ginger beer. And two ounces of Jägermeister. Which I, I don't think either one of us have had Jägermeister before. So I have never had it. Yeah. So to make this drink, add ice to Colin's glass, pour your Jaeger and vodka over the ice, add root beer to fill the glass, and then finish it off with a squeeze of a lemon. Ready to give it a try? Uh, it looks I'm, interesting. It looks I'm like very dirt terrified. water. <laughs> it, it just looks like root beer. It looks like root beer. Did you use root beer or did you use ginger beer? I used root beer. And okay. I think the lemon is giving it a weird color, but... Let's 
That mm. I don't hate. Really? Yeah, I I used five ounces of root beer because the I Jaeger... used seven because I just had the small cans, which are seven, and I didn't oh, feel like measuring it. So I just dumped it in there. <laughs> so to me, it tastes like root beer with like a weird little finish. At almost maybe it's the lemon that I'm getting. I didn't do a whole lemon. I just did like the butt end of a lemon. So mm. it was, you know, not a ton of juice in there, but I get like a little bit of the tartness. I don't taste any alcohol in it at all. I think it would be really good if you threw some ice cream in that made a float out of it. I, I don't would... know. I think it tastes a little bit like one of those weird extracts you would give me to make me feel sick less <laughs> it tastes a little medicine-y to me well i i had heard that jaeger tasted like black licorice which i loathe black licorice mm. so i was really scared and which is why i've never had it before but i i was referencing it and Online, it doesn't say that it tastes like black licorice. I don't remember what it said it tastes like, but it didn't say it said it tasted like root beer a little bit. So I thought, oh, well, it's just going to taste like root beer. Uh, I don't hate it. Mm. I, I honestly had, thought I would. I've never had Jaeger straight, so I don't really know. This is also my first time trying Jaeger, so I don't really taste it. I, I Mine tastes oh. mostly like lemon. I think I put too much lemon in there. Oh. I wouldn't Did think to put lemon, lemon and root beer together. No, no I bought the, the stuff in a bottle. Oh, okay. So I like to put it that in my has tea a, and so. Yeah, but that has a funky taste to it anyway. Yeah, but I it think. says lemon on it, so. I know. <laughs> All right, so tell me this horrible wasting disease. Okay. <clears throat> Imagine you're hunting for a deer with your friends and family. You spot a smaller buck about 80 yards out, but you notice it acting irregularly. He's spinning in circles and doesn't seem to notice your hunting group approaching him. As you get closer, you notice that the deer is so skinny that you can see a majority of its bones. The fur Ew. is falling off, and it's walking in circles, taking like strange high steps. Yeah. This deer is infected with a prion disease called chronic wasting disease. Oh, okay. Yeah. The term prions refer to abnormal pathogenic agents that are transmissible and are able to introduce abnormal folding of specific normal cellular proteins called prions. Uh, they're found mostly and abundantly in the brain, and the functions of these normal prion proteins um, are still not fully understood. That was a direct quote from the CDC. In livestock and wildlife, prion diseases such as scrappy for sheep Chronic wasting disease for deer, elk, moose, and some other animals in that 
family and mad cow disease for cattle. Those are all yeah. examples of prion disease. Yeah, I know. I've heard of uh, the mad cow, but not the others. <coughs> yeah, that was a problem when you were growing up, right? Like, yeah. Was there a run of There that? was like an outbreak and everybody freaked out about it. And then they went, oh, stop eating brains of animals that are infected with it. And that should cure it. So those prion diseases, they can spread by casual contact or contamination of feeds or the environment that they live in. Prions also can be uh, infectious if inadvertently transferred from person to person by evasive medical procedures. Which Invasive <clears throat> medical procedures? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that means, but I'm guessing if one person has... Mad cow disease medical procedures. And, yeah. they, and they give you a brain surgery, then you have a higher chance of getting it. But prion disease uh, symptoms ref reflect the brain being destroyed and can range from memory loss and unstable movements to being unable to sleep or realizing that you need to eat. So some people will just die because they don't realize that they need to eat. Oh, I don't think that's ever yeah. been my problem. I always know I need to eat. <laughs> it is important to note that chronic wasting disease hasn't affected any humans to date. However, many researchers are concerned about it affecting humans in the future. It can affect non-human primates like monkeys that come in contact with the meat. And that's like any meat, whether like a steak or brain tissue or bodily fluids from the animal too. Oh. And in 2009, German and Canadian researchers fed infected meat to macaw monkeys, which all the animals affected were um, genetically closest to humans. So they tested on a different, like couple different types of monkeys, and that one is the closest to it, and it was able to be infected by chronic wasting disease. So then they're extrapolating that and saying, oh, yeah, well, if it infected the monkeys, it can infect a human. Yeah, and again, Eats. there's no cases of it affecting humans so far, but researchers so far. are worried that it could evolve into that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. The results of their research were that the monkeys were infected after eating an asymptomatic deer. So this is a deer that had no signs outside of having uh, uh -huh. chronic wasting disease. And then they fed the meat from that deer to the monkeys and they became infected. So you don't know if you're getting the infected meat or not because it's asymptomatic. Oh, it can take that's... one to two years for the symptoms to develop after an animal's been infected. Oh, my God. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty one nasty. more reason for me to not eat deer. So chronic wasting disease was first identified in captive deer in the Colorado Research Facility in the late 1960s. And for the first time in the wild, it was observed in 81. Uh, but by the late 90s, it had been reported in surrounding areas in northern Colorado and southern Wyoming. And since 2000, the area known to be affected by CWD and free-ranging animals has increased at least 29 states. So it's all over the country. 
Is it it's in, in the Oregon? Midwest? No, we don't have a lot of it in the West Coast, but oh, the okay. the yeah. areas that are most affected are Midwest, the Southwest, and some parts of East Coast. Okay. Yuck. It is possible that CWD may also occur in other states without strong animal surveillance systems, but that cases haven't like been detected yet. So, but once the uh, CWD is established in the area, it's almost impossible to get it out, and it can remain for mm. like a really long time. Yeah. Nationwide, the overall occurrence of chronic wasting disorder in free-ranging deer and elk is relatively low. However, in several locations where the disease is established, infection rates can exceed up to 10%. So, yeah. And in localized infection rates, more than 25%. So, it has a decently high infection rate if if it's like a huge herd, then the chances of a lot of them having it is fairly high. Mm. Um, one of the biggest problems with chronic wasting disorder is the incubation period, which can last between one to two years, meaning that deer could be infected for that long without showing any signs or symptoms, which are drastic weight loss, stumbling, lack of coordination, listlessness, which is lack of energy, drooling, Excessive thirst or urination, drooping ears, a lack of fear of people, and it always results in death. Yeah. How long can they have it symptom-wise before they die? It, I think it depends on how, how healthy the animal was beforehand. Oh, but okay. But typically it's not long. I think it's six months to a year. Mm. Yeah. Okay. CWD occurs most prominently in deer, elk, reindeer, sitka deer, and moose. Since animals infected by CWD can show no signs of infection, it can be hard to tell whether it's safe to eat the meat or not. So the CDC mm-hmm. recommends that you get your meat tested if you are hunting in an area where CWD is present. Yeah. And that is chronic wasting disorder. It essentially turns the deer into zombies because like the reason I said they they were walking in circles sometimes like the video that mm-hmm. I've seen at least is this deer it its eye had like rotted out it had one <sighs> eye left it you could see all its bones and it was walking in like a super tight circle high stepping like high knees and oh. like 2 feet away from some guy just filming it and it just was doing that for like a minute straight and he said it's because they, it like takes over their brain and yeah. start to kind of like control them without them being able to control themselves, if that makes any sense. But it's essentially turning them into zombies. They don't like go and chase and bite other deer and stuff. But <laughs> if like if they, if the deer just pisses on the grass like deers normally do and another deer comes mm-hmm. up and eats that grass that he just pissed on, then he's probably going to get infected. Get infected. Ooh, I don't you. Yeah, but it's not in Oregon. You said. Uh, I don't. I'm sure there might have been a case or two, but it's not like enough to be super concerned about. So those asshole deer in in our yard, or I don't have to be worried that they have it. I'm going to be looking at those deer different now. 
Just yeah, so you, you know, every time I drive by those every damn day, those deer are in the road. I'm going to be so looking one of at the them. easiest ways to tell is neck thickness. So deer mostly have like a pretty thick neck. But mm-hmm. when they have that, since they're losing all their weight and stuff, you'll be able to see like their neck bones and stuff. And they have like uh. weird skinny, like goofy looking necks. Yeah, they're pretty gross. Okay. Ugh. I'm not a fan. And I believe that their hooves will splay out like a Spock sign. Weird. Like that's another telltale sign. That's bizarre as hell. Yeah. I don't like it. it. It's basically just destroying their body slowly, I think. Yeah. And it can be found like most of the disease, if an animal is infected, is contained in the brain and spinal cord. So it's... I think you would be fine to eat a deer because you're not eating that part of it, but I. I yeah, but you said it. it's in I'm the meat. That. Yeah, but it's that's where the con- biggest concentration of it is in the brain and spinal cord. Right. Because I think that's where the most prions are. Yeah. Because that that's where they're most present. Like you, we have prions in all of our muscles, I believe, but the brain has the highest percentage of them. I could be wrong. I don't I'm not remember, a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that's. I don't remember. It's been a very long time since I learned about prions, so. Yeah, me too. Okay, so tell us about this crazy earthquake guy. Okay, so... Yeah, it's bizarre and it's brutal, so we'll get into it. Earthquakes are fairly common occurrence in California, as you know, us West Coasters know. On April 18th, 1906, a 7.9 magnitude earthquake hit the San Francisco Bay Area of California. The effects were felt hundreds of miles away. In the city itself, over 3,000 people died and about 80,000... Sorry, about 80% of the city was destroyed. The loss of life was the greatest in California's history from a natural disaster. It's often referred to as the Great Quake. Hmm. But that's not what we're really talking about. But the date is important, and we'll get to that. Decades later, this event played a huge factor in the lives and deaths of many people. But these victims wouldn't know of the bizarre relationship. Herbert Mullen was born April 18, 1947, 41 years after the massive quake. He was born in Salinas, California, and was a second child with an older sister. When Herbert was five, the family moved to San Francisco for a few years, then later moved to Felton, California, near Santa Cruz. There didn't seem to be much turmoil or problems in Mullen's younger life. By all reports, everyone in the family got along well, and Mullen made friends easily. He was an athlete in school and liked by his peers. At 16 years old, he was voted most likely to succeed by his high school classmates. Shortly after his high school graduation, one of Mullen's good friends was killed in a car accident. And this is where it kind of goes a little crazy. Mm, I had like a mental break after that. Well... It really bothered him that his friend died. 
he became obsessed with it and he built shrines in his bedroom for his friend and would stay in there and just ruminate over the fact that his friend died. He also became very interested in the idea of reincarnation, religion, and natural disasters. About four years later, in 1969, Mullen was admitted to the first of many mental hospitals. Over a few years, he was committed to five different mental health facilities, but was always released with the claim that he was not a danger to himself or others. During that time, Mullen changed his focus and behaviors repeatedly, showing interest in moving to, uh, he wanted to learn yoga and he was going to move away to do that. Then he started wearing a sombrero and speaking with an accent and he would become obsessed with different things like art and books on art and things like that. Was this guy in the car when his friend died? Is that why he's... So fucking weird. Nope. Did he get a massive head injury? Nope. Okay. Nope. But he had a he had an idea about why he his he thinks his personality changed. We'll we'll talk about that. By his mid twenties, Mullen was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which was possibly exacerbated by drug use. So. Originally, he started smoking pot, then graduated to using LSD and was a heavy drug user for a while. And I know that there's been some studies on a connection between pot use in a young age and if the person is particularly like mentally, I don't want to say unstable, but... um susceptible to you know if they're a little bit on the schizophrenic side or if they have a little bit of propensity for that some scientists think that pot could exacerbate that and that's what he thought as well um he moved Uh, back home with his parents at the age of 25. So he did several stints in these mental health facilities and kind of bounced around and did all these different things and had all these different interests and obsessions kind of for a while. But then he moved back home. At some point, he became fixated on his birthday being the anniversary of that massive quake from 1906. He believed this coincidence had a deep meaning. He was massively obsessed with his birthday in general. So uh, there's a couple, there's another thing that happened that he was like, oh, this has huge deeper meaning as to because it was related to my birthday. Um, He believed that that birthday and the 1906 earthquake were not a coincidence They had a deep meaning, and he believed that earthquakes could be prevented through the loss of human life. I I don't know why he thought that, but he did think that. In the early 1970s, Mullen was concerned that another earthquake would occur unless he made efforts to prevent it. At the time, the U.S. had been involved in the Vietnam War for over a decade and a half, and it was appearing that the U.S. involvement in that war would be resolving soon. Mullen feared that since lives were 
no longer be lost in Vietnam, that would lead to another massive quake. And he wanted to prevent that. In late 1972, he believed he was receiving telepathic messages from his father ordering him to kill to prevent an earthquake. His hmm. first victim was Lawrence White, known as Whitey, and felt in California. Whitey was a homeless man that Mullen saw on the side of the road. He believed Whitey resembled Jonah from the Bible, and he telepathically told Mullen to sacrifice him so that others would be saved. Okay. Yeah. That was number one. Mullen stopped his vehicle near Whitey and pretended to have car trouble. When Whitey offered to help, Mullen beat him repeatedly with a baseball bat and left his body nearby. The body was found the next day. Shit. Yeah. Nine days after killing Whitey, Mullen heard another telepathic message from his father ordering another murder. Mullen was also curious about world po pollution, and he found his next victim. Her name was Mary Margaret Guifoyle, and she was a student at a local college. He offered Mary a ride and then stabbed her when she was in his vehicle. He killed her, and then he cut her body open to examine her organs because he wanted to see if the organs showed any sign of the earth being polluted. So he was doing double, double interest on this murder because he wanted to know about pollution and he thought it would affect the organs and he wanted to kill her because he thought that would prevent an earthquake. What a fucking freak. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Her body wasn't found for several months. Ten days later, Mullen was having some doubts about the telepathic messages, and he went to a Catholic church about a half hour away from, with the intent of confessing. He's like, I got to go confess. Clear my conscience. So he encountered a father at the Catholic church, Father Henry Tomei. According to Mullen, Father Tomei volunteered to be his next sacrifice. So Mullen beat him and stabbed him to death in the church. In the church? In the Jeez. church. Yeah. There was a witness to the murder, and the witness was able to give a pretty good description of Mullen to the police. But they didn't, I mean, you know, they had his description after the fact. They didn't know who he was. About two months later, in January of 1973, Mullen's new plan was to join the Marine Corps so that he could continue with his earthquake sacrifices, but do it in a military-sanctioned way. So he thought, you know, this just murdering people is not cool. I should go do it for the military because then it'll be legal and it'll be okay because that will prevent the earthquakes. <sighs> okay. <laughs> yeah. This guy needs Around to be put the time, in a fucking padded room. Well, it's there's some there's some issues here for sure. <laughs> Um, around the time that he tried to get into the, to the Marine Corps, he went off all drugs. He believed that his drug use contributed to his hallucinations, and therefore he wanted to take that up with the person who first introduced him to drugs. He wanted to find that guy. Well, it was a friend of his from high school. 
So do you know if he was on drugs when he did the murders? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was taking drugs for years. He started doing drugs. I think it was like either during high school or right after high school, a high school acquaintance introduced him to pot and then he started doing LSD and he was heavily into the drugs for a while. He didn't go off them until 1973. So the first three murders were in 72. And so he was still doing drugs at that point. Was he like taking LSD and then going to kill people or I don't like, know. Was he killing people all the time? Hmm. Okay. I don't know. That's what I was wondering if he was just tripping. If, That's why he was having hallucinations. He, he was on acid. Yeah. Well, but he was schizophrenic. He he'd been diagnosed oh, okay. a paranoid schizophrenic. And well, I only say that well. that like drug relationship because I had, you know, I've heard a couple of uh articles have come out recently that have said early pot use in a developing mind can potentially cause, I mean, obviously they don't know, they don't have a link, but whatever. There's, I there's think definitely it's, some it's people like who've talked about it. Hereditary, then smoking yeah. weed when you're young can exacerbate it or cause it to come up earlier than yeah. it would have on its own. I think, I think that's what they're kind of thinking. So, and I don't know if he had any family history, but, He definitely had something going on up there. (laughs) So the man that introduced him to drugs and offered him pot for the first time was a man named Jim Gianera. And those two men had gone to high school together. At the end of January 1973, Mullen went to an area where he believed Jim lived. He encountered Kathy Francis, who actually knew that Jim and his wife lived just down the road from her. So she gave him directions. Hey, Jim's at this house. He went to Jim's house where he confronted Jim about offering him pot back in high school. He shot and killed Jim and then shot and stabbed Jim's wife, Joan. He returned to Kathy's house and thanked her for the information by shooting and stabbing her to death and also killing her two sons who were four and nine. And he was off the drugs at this point because he was trying to join the Marines. <laughs> yeah. But so the, the Marines rejected him because he had a uh, criminal history and they said, no, we won't take you. Okay. Yeah. A little over two weeks later, Mullen went hiking in a state park near Santa Cruz, California. He came across four young men in their late teens who were camping. Their names were Robert Spector, Brian Card, David Oliker, and Mark. I'm going to just destroy the last name. It's a Drabelbus or something like that. Sorry to all of the people whose names I mispronounced today. He represented himself as a park ranger and told the men that they had to leave. They did not leave. So he shot them. He killed each one of them with a twenty-two pistol. He later claimed that the young men had telepathically given him their consent. So he hallucinated them saying, it's okay, you can shoot us in the head. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 
After killing them, he stole their 22 rifle, as well as some cash. Their bodies were not found for almost a week. But before those, those boys were found, three days after he killed them and stealing their rifle, he took his last victim, who was a 72-year-old man named Fred Perez. Fred was in his garden at the time. He was at his home, and Mullen was driving by. Mullen turned his car around, stopped, removed the stolen rifle, laid it across the hood of his car, and shot Fred, killing him. He did all of this in broad daylight. A neighbor witnessed the entire thing, reported to the police as long as, um, as, as well as the license plate of the vehicle that Mullen was driving. Police soon stopped Mullen and arrested him. He went into custody without incident, and the four-month crime spree was finally at an end. Damn. Yeah. 13 victims in four months. That's crazy. Yeah. At the time, police didn't realize they had a serial killer on the loose because the victims varied so much and the method of deaths were so different. Mullen confessed to all of his murders, so when his trial began at the end of July 1973, the question was whether or not he was insane. This trial was only for 10 of his 13 victims. He took the stand in his own defense and made some interesting statements that definitely reflected on his sanity. Demonstrating his obsession with reincarnation, he claimed at one point there was a conspiracy to reduce how powerful he might become in his next life. Not sure who he thought was in on this conspiracy, but he thought there was a conspiracy. Another statement he made during his testimony reflected back towards his birthday. Albert Einstein, the theoretical physicist and genius, had died on April 18th, 1955. That significant anniversary birthday link he was so fascinated with. Mullen claimed this date connection meant he was supposed to be the designated leader of his generation. Yeah. The prosecution highlighted the fact that some of the murders were premeditated and Mullen had attempted to cover up some of those crimes. Almost three weeks later, Mullen was convicted of first-degree murder in the deaths of Jim Gianera and Kathy Francis because they were considered to be premeditated. He was found guilty of second-degree murder and the other killings due to the appearance that they were more of an impulse killing and less of a premeditation. Later in 73, he pleaded guilty to Father Tomei's murder. He was sentenced to prison at the age of 26. He was sentenced to life. He did get the option for parole, and uh, he, he requested parole eight times, but was denied each time. <laughs> he died from natural causes in August of 2022 at the age of 75. An they, interesting aside, what? Did they put him in a normal jail or a psychiatric hospital? They put him in a normal jail. And that's exactly what I was going to talk to you about next. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was in prison with another serial killer that was 
operating in the same area at the same time, and that was Edmund Kemper, the um, the serial killer, also known as the co-ed killer. So mm-hmm. these guys were in the same areas doing bad things at the exact same time. And one of, well, the second, Mullen's second victim, uh, Mary, the one that he needed to inspect her organs, they actually for a time thought that she might have been Kemper's uh, victim until Mullen confessed to her death. Hmm. Um, But he's also crazy, so maybe he just confessed yeah i don't know maybe um it but the fact that they were both in the area at the same time might be one of the reasons that law enforcement didn't link some of uh, mullen's crimes together kemper and mullen were also actually in prison together for many years and apparently mullen was rather annoying to the other inmates and he had like quirky behaviors Kemper talked about Mullen in an interview and how he would train him with treats to get Mullen to behave better. Yeah. Dog training him in prison. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. It's crazy. Speaking of prisoners, uh, do you see that the Unabomber died yesterday? I did not. Yeah, he died at 81 in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did I miss that? I don't know. It was all over my Instagram. That's the only reason I know. <sighs> nope, I missed that. I would say that could be a chaser, but I'm sure you probably have something else to uh, tell us about chasers. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a good one to to cleanse the palate from our craziness? Okay, so this is kind of a funny one. In 2012, a Chicago man bought a car for $600. He registered it in his ex-girlfriend's name and then parked it in the O'Hare Airport and racked up 678 parking tickets totaling $105,000. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's petty. That's very, very petty. That is that epitome is, of petty. Yes. And I'm gonna prove how petty I am in saying that I love it. It's it's yes, wrong of me to it. love that. And I'm I feel bad for the woman who had that happened to her but at the same time that's a damn good she must have deserved it (laughs) yeah i'm not saying she did or she didn't but wow wow oh that's yeah that's pretty so (laughs) i wonder what's gonna happen to him like are there is there criminal charges that could come out of that I didn't see anything about it. I I don't know what he could be charged with. I mean, maybe no falsely titling. 
There's that's gotta be. Wow. Probably depends on the state forgery, and what kind of laws. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It could be forgery. Like, forging it in her name. Right. Oh. Maybe. I would be curious to see if anything comes out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. That's pretty fucking funny, though. What is your chaser Ooh. for us? My chaser is that the History Channel's show alone is back for their summer season. And by the time we're recording this, the first episode just came out. <clears throat> by the time we release this, I'm sure a couple of episodes will be out. I don't know when this is coming out, but um, I'm super excited because dad and I always have bets on it and we've started making our bets already, but it's because it's just the first episode. No one, you know, we have, we don't have our teams formed yet. About half of my team is, is formed and uh, dad's got a couple people on his team and then we'll uh, see what comes out of the the individual episode bets and who's going to win the, the jackpot of cash prize and who's going to win the, the little incidental weekly bets. And I am the last two times we've done this. I have won the bet where I get to make him wear whatever I want him to wear for the day. And we did that last year when we went to Mexico and he had to wear a goofy shirt that I made him and a unicorn horn tiara. And I need to figure out what I'm going to make him wear when we go to Vegas. I got a couple ideas, but I need to get off the proverbial pot and figure it out. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, so you got to pick know. something. It's coming up here soon. I, I just hope, I hope. To God, I don't get, I don't lose that because I don't know what he's going to make me do. I don't want to mm. be the one that loses that episode. So, but that is mine. And if you haven't watched the show alone, it is a great show about surviving in horrible conditions in the middle of nowhere and having to feed yourself and house yourself and survive bad weather but it's a it's a really good show and it's on the history channel so yeah it's, i think everybody should check it out it's a good watch yeah in addition to that i want to read a recent apple review for us and this came from alice two two three four five six and Alice says, if you're a true crime enthusiast with a taste for the bizarre, look no further than this fantastic podcast hosted by a dynamic mother and son duo. Their captivating storytelling combined with the ingenious idea of crafting cocktails themed around their tales creates an immersive and thrilling experience. With their engaging chemistry and meticulous research, they deliver brutal crimes and bizarre occurrences in a unique and fun way that helps, uh, that keeps you hooked from start to finish. So just wanted to read that. If you would like to leave us a review, listeners, friends, please feel free to give us a little shout out on Apple Podcasts and we'll read it out on one of our episodes. 
we'd be happy to. Yeah, well, I think that just about wraps us up, right? It does. Well, I enjoyed hearing about that crazy guy who needs to be in an asylum. <laughs> well, he's dead now, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, he died last year. Oh, nice. So he doesn't get to be in anything anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, I love you, All Mom. Right. I love you too, bud. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.